0: The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is the great Ivan Mizell from ESPN we will talk about College Football 150, ESPN's year-long project examining the history of college football on its sesquicentennial. Ivan did so much work on the project, he decided to turn it into a class he is teaching this semester at Stanford. Thanks again for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of AP's college football coverage. And away we go. My guest this week on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast is the great, and I do mean great, Ivan Mizell (laughs) from ESPN. You're laughing. What? You're the best, Ivan.
1: Uh, Thank you. My mother will be so proud to hear this.
0: Yeah, well, and and the check's in the
1: mail, right? Yeah, exactly. Read that just as I wrote it. uh,
0: Ivan uh, has been charged. Well, actually, you know, this is a massive project ESPN is doing, and I think the National Football Foundation. I don't know if you're working directly with them, but the National Football Foundation is also somewhat involved in this. Uh, college football 150 celebrating the sesquicentennial of the birth of college football Yeah, that is this year 150 years old college football turns this year and the beginning of the project was unveiled on January 1st with a long essay by Ivan and also the, the I guess it was what the top 20 or 30 championship games of all time so this top thing 20, is, yeah. yeah top 20 so this thing is already rolling but I'm wondering, where is your workflow in this thing? Because it was announced a while ago. How much has this consumed your life since it was announced back in 2017?
1: Well, uh, first of all, Ralph, thanks for having me. This is all I've been working on since the beginning of 2018, and I've been working on it for two years before that. You know, The genesis of it comes back, goes back even before that. There were two of us in the company that saw, that noticed that 2019 was going to be the 150th anniversary several years ago. One was me, and the other was John Dahl, who is the executive producer of uh, 30 for 30 films. And John saw it when he noticed uh, when they were doing a Mannings documentary, and he saw the 100 on Archie's helmet when he was at Ole Miss. And he mm. looked up what that was, and it was the Centennial sticker. John's very good at math, so he figured (laughs) out that that 2019 would be the sesquicentennial. And I just had had it in my head because I'm sort of a history geek, and I said something to the powers that be at ESPN five years ago, and they told me to come back three years out, and about three years out is when John – and I found one another and John had already begun setting the table sort of, uh, within the company of trying to get something done. And, and John is a terrific filmmaker and executive producer. And I'm just the guy that knows a lot of the history. So I'm sort of, that's been my role from the get go is, is the content. And I'm just sort of there to help however I can with our various filmmakers that we've commissioned and as well as uh, what we're going to do on ESPN.com, and we're going to do podcasts as well. It's it's every platform we can think of on ESPN.
0: It sounds amazing. It sounds incredibly intensive. It also sounds like the type of project that would drive me batty. I am not a person who deals very well in sort of massive projects because I have a hard time getting my brain around multifaceted things. So how were you able to synthesize your ideas and sort of come up with, I'll use the corporate term that gets used a lot these days, buckets, right? Let's create certain buckets of content here. How did you go about that process of coming up with like, okay, how can we get this massive project into like small mounds that are easily, uh, small hills that are easier to climb?
1: That's really a lot of what we spent. Probably 2017 doing is figuring out what stories we wanted to tell and how we would tell them. We were smart enough, John, especially to understand that if we did a chronological history, nobody would watch the first four shows. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's just going to be limited appeal to, you know, getting into Harvard and Yale and how they dominated football at the turn of of the last century. So what we came up with was we identified uh, eleven different themes uh, within the sport, and eleven, of course, is an important number in, in football. So we identified eleven different themes, and then we could tell we could tell the stories of those themes throughout the 150 years. So uh, we'll talk about one week, and we're going to do two. 11 week series in the fall uh, on air and each week will be a different theme. And, and one will be the culture of the game. Why is it that we care so much? You know, one will be the evolution of the game, how the game has changed in both in on the field, uh, in X's and O's and safety and the way it's watched, the way it's consumed. I mean, all of that we're going to do a week on television. And so Uh, we've got 11 different weeks of themes and and that was, that was we thought the best way to tell the story.
0: That's so interesting and you talk about the chronological piece because I think you know, 30 for 30s are maybe the best thing ESP, ESPN does aside from College Game Day, which is my own personal preference because of what my, my business is. But I think when we look at projects like this, the first thing that jumped into my mind was Ken Burns, right? Baseball, jazz, Vietnam. And those yep. are chronological pieces. Now, as brilliant as those things are, They are for sort of a PBS audience, right? Those are for people who are really into the subject matter and and probably a little more committed to the idea that I'm going to go into some minutia and detail here at a slower pace. So I'm wondering how much, if any, of the inspiration to the presentation was – looked at from some of the Ken Burns stuff, that type of documentary series, could you take anything from those sort of long-form documentaries that have been played out and done very well?
1: Well, I don't think anybody that makes documentaries, certainly in our generation's lifetime, is not affected by how Ken Burns does his work. Now, having said that, uh we didn't hire Ken Burns to do it uh in fact <laughs> nice. i don't know we hired uh herzog and company to do the those two sh- there'd be two shows each week about the theme and uh we hired herzog and company which has done the decades series on cnn which i think are are terrific television and i thought that before we hired them and those
0: and are they, re- those th- are really good by the way yeah those are actually yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, they make great television and so we're you know it's been a lot of fun working with them and, you know, having said that about not doing it chronologically, we also hired Fritz Mitchell, who is a terrific filmmaker, uh, Peabody winner, um, to do a history of the SEC that's going to run on the SEC network. And it's a lot more in that sort of Ken Burns, elegiac, beautiful uh format and a little more chronological. Mm-hmm. So. Uh we'll, we'll have something, you know, and that will run on the SEC network. It'll be a, a 12 hour history of the SEC. And, uh, it's a completely different way of telling that story than what we're going to do on the ESPN to tell the entire story. So there's going to be something for everybody. A, a, a filmmaker named John Hawk, who has done terrific work in 30 for 30. He did the Lakers and Celtics documentary on 30 for 30, mm-hmm. uh, He's doing two documentaries, one that will begin our coverage. Uh, we have 150 days of content, very clever, right? So sure. he's going to do one at the beginning and one at the end. And so, uh, all in all, there's 35 hours of programming. Uh, there'll be, uh, eight podcasts that will drop in the late summer. Uh, if I can get them done <laughs> and, and then there will be, uh, uh, also, a lot of content on .com as well.
0: What were some of the, um, gosh, I mean, to say what are some of the challenges for a project like this, it, they could seem endless, but for you in particular, and there is stuff that's probably not even done yet, so there are still challenges that lie ahead as you talk about the podcast, but for you in particular, what were maybe the themes or the sections of this that you found most challenging to bring forth.
1: That's a really good question, and, and and I'm very flattered that you would think we're close to being done. Nah. I mean, everything. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, my working life right now is sort of whack a mole. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever pops up, I you know, I deal with that until I can sort of get it to where I can put it down, and then something else comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm was sitting here bef- before we started looking at the rough cut of one of the shows uh, we're doing a week about recruiting mm-hmm. and, and the history of recruiting and, and the, you know, the, the great stories and the, the dark side and, and all of that. And that's a tough story for me because I've never dealt a lot with recruiting. Uh, but, you know, I knew people, I kind of had an idea of who to talk to about uh, who could tell the stories.
0: Yeah, I guess that's, uh, so, that that may have been a better way for me to ask it. As far as like what yeah. were the what were the things that you have such a vast knowledge of the sport and maybe recruiting is a good por, por, point there where you realize you know what this is where my knowledge comes up a little short. These these are the blind spots in my oh, yeah. in my treasure trove of knowledge. I would again, you said recruiting. Any place else?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm the evolution of the game. You know, I'm gonna, I have to uh, school up on the early X's and O's and try and and have a better idea in my head of how one thing begat another begat another. You know, how we went from playing in a box the way they did, uh, it, you know, a hundred years ago to playing sideline to sideline the way they do now, how, it, because you can. You know, one thing you know, offense and defense are—it's a chess game—is is the cliche. And you know, defense does something to stop what the offense is doing, and then the offense adjusts, and then the defense adjusts to what the offense adjusted to, and it and is a continuum over the the span of the history of the game. So I, I'm you know I've got to bone up on that. I've got to bone up on the evolution of the safety, uh, you know, and the rules and how they change, and and I've got books and resources that can tell me i just don't have it off the top of my head
0: here i am thinking that you know you covered all those games so you should be just fine right? yeah well Yeah, <laughs> i'll tell you an early
1: one of the first things we had uh one of the young producers at espn uh one of the first meetings we had he said well, i think we need to really focus on the florida state miami series of the early 90s that was those were terrific and i'm looking at him you know and i'm like annoyed i said, "Listen." I said, w- there's going to be one rule about this project. I said, if I covered it, it is not history. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Too late, uh, Ivan. Unfor- Too late. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's, uh, but it, I had to try.
0: <laughs> All those great, that grainy footage of wide right and wide left, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. They were in color, as I recall. Yes, yeah,
0: I, I do recall that. Let me ask you this, and then I'm going to take a quick break and we'll finish up here. But I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would imagine maybe the most fun parts of this could be players and coaches because then you're really dealing with personalities. Are you dealing with players and coaches as a particular topic or a theme, or are they sprinkled in? How are you dealing with the personalities of college? Uh, what's the What's the plan for dealing the, with the personalities of college football?
1: Uh, the personalities are what make the, the history come alive, right? I mean, you know, the, the great anecdotes. And by incorporating a, the idea of themes, you can get to different people in different weeks. Oh, you know, sure, of I think, for instance, we're going to spend a week on integration and there's some incredible stories about, you know, men who just went through incredible hardships in order to play college football as the country was wracked with, you know, the battle for civil rights. And there's just some incredible stories to be told and, you know, we're going to tell those. We're going to spend a week talking just about Notre Dame. Because you can't tell the history of college football without explaining how Notre Dame became Notre Dame in the sense of what it means to the sport. And if you so in that way we'll talk about Newt Rockney still, you know 92 years since he died or however like 88 years since he died is still a seminal figure in the sport. So each week, we'll be able to present a, a you know, a few, and some figures will be in more than one show, obviously. But, you know, I grew up in Alabama, and and a lot of the history I understand is filtered through who Bear Bryant was and what he meant to me. And so, I, you know, a lot of these stories I can relate are going to be Bear Bryant stories.
0: How much is, is your personal relationship with college football threaded throughout, some of these stories,
1: <laughs> probably a good bit I, I I don't know you know the shows are not finished, certainly, and are a long way from being finished, uh, but the stories that I tell are some of my favorite stories, and i don't know whether the producers are going to end up using all of them or not, but <laughs> right. I've seen some incredible things and and uh, I just have Love the sport since I was, you know, I went to my first game, which I think was in 1964. So I've got a lot of things that are important to me.
0: You think because you were so? Do you remember it, or was it you were told that you went to a game in
1: 1964? (laughs) No, well, I have a vague, you know, I have some (laughs) flashes in my head (laughs) in the old in the old days before Bryant Denny seated 101 thousand people. When I was a little kid, Bryant Denny seated 40. And Ladd Stadium in Mobile, where I grew up, seated 43. So Bryant played a lot of home games at Legion Field, which sat much more than 43. And he played one game a year in, in Mobile. Mm-hmm. And it was about money, and it was also about moving the team around the state. But the minute Bryant, well, it was still Denny Stadium then, the minute they expanded Denny Stadium to 60,000 seats, which was in the mid-60s, He quit coming to Mobile, so it really was about the money. But, yeah, I went to uh, two or three Alabama games in Mobile.
0: All right, we're going to take a very quick break here on the AP Top 25 College Football podcast. I'm talking with Ivan Mizell from ESPN about College Football 150 and all his vast and laborious work on this project. We'll talk to him more about it right after this. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with Ivan Mizell from ESPN talking about college football 150. I am getting that right. It's college football 150. I want to make sure I'm actually giving the title correctly, right?
1: Okay. Yeah, that is it. And uh, uh, there is a logo that everybody's going to use, and we'll have, we'll use it and we'll have ESPN on it, and I think the leagues will use that logo and have their name on below it. But, yeah. College football, 150.
0: So one of the things I'm interested in is with a project this vast, can you have an overarching storyline or theme that runs through all of it, even if it's only very tangentially, uh, you know, sort of brushing up against it? But, you know, we talked about when something is this vast, it it can probably seem overwhelming So you break it into buckets, but is there something that ties all the buckets together? As as a storyteller, which is your great skill, are you able to do that with this? Are you even trying to do that?
1: I think, to answer your question, not overtly, but the one thing that has kept coming back to us, Ralph, is the way that the history of college football reflects the history of the country in the sense of what was going on at that time in the country is reflected in the history of the game. And, and that was a big theme to the essay I wrote, you know, to kick off our 150 initiative. In that sense, you can see it just in the names of the players who make All-American. You know, the, the people who have played the game, who they are has changed over the course of 150 years and, and not just by the of integration, immigration had a great effect on who played college football. You know, the, the first generation uh, kids of the so many European immigrants uh, people the teams throughout the '30s, '40s, '50s, '60s. You know, the coal mining kids, uh, the, the kids who played at Notre Dame. You know, the, 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 you know and uh, the, that keeps coming, that keeps surfacing throughout all the shows we've done, is that you see connections to what was going on in the larger country at the time.
0: How much do you notice history repeating? In other words, you're a historian of college football, and we talk about this from all the time when it comes to current day issues, but they're not necessarily just current day issues. How much do you see history repeating itself or issues that we think of as here and now but really have been issues for years and years?
1: Oh, well there's certainly that. I mean, there was there have been concerns about the the athletic tail wagging the academic dog as far back as you want to go. There have been concerns about the safety of the game going back to the very you know the the early days of it, the NCAA was created out of concerns for the safety of the game. You know, the, the, what is within college football, a famous White House summit in 1905 when Teddy Roosevelt summoned the presidents of Harvard, Yale and Princeton to the game because there had been so many deaths on the field. He said, either you clean this up or I'm going to. And out of that meeting was the NCAA was formed. And what are we talking about now? We're talking about head injuries and is the game safe to play? Uh, so uh, obviously, there are a lot of themes that that resonate throughout the hundred and fifty years.
0: Do you have one or two you know this is maybe not an, uh, maybe a little bit of an unfair qu- question to hit you with on the spot because you you've probably done so much for this and still have so much to come, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Is there something that's popped up that maybe was a fun story, an interesting tidbit that completely caught you off guard? That was something. Again, you have such a uh, you know you have such a vast knowledge of the sport, but something that was like, oh, I don't even know if this will make the final cut, but boy, I didn't know about this, and it was fun to
1: learn. Well, yeah, sure. How much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> you, you know there's, there's l- been...
0: l- l- Give me a few of them because I think this stuff could in some ways be as as interesting as anything during and again, some of it may not make the cutting room floor, but for someone like you ivan who who has been so entrenched in this sport to have something new come across your desk, I would think is kind of interesting
1: well and, and a lot of the things I don't know what is going to make you know I'm not making the television, I'm just sort of there to help them get the content right, you know, what I'm making, quote-unquote, are the stories I'm writing and the mm-hmm. podcast scripts I'm writing. So the stories that I'm really fond of will be those, you know, that I'll have direct control over. Uh, one podcast and story I'm going to write uh, is about the integration of the Sugar Bowl in nineteen, the 1956 Sugar Bowl. And Bobby Greer was the player at Pitt who integrated Sugar Bowl they just put him in the Sugar Bowl Hall of Fame a few days ago. Uh, he's 86 years old. And the story of what happened over the month of December, uh, and this is 1955, you know, right when Rosa Parks is refusing to move her seat, you know, weeks after Emmett Till was lynched, and that's when this story blossomed. And if you look at what happened to Bobby Greer in that context, it just opens up into a much wider, much more interesting story. So, you know, I'll tell that. Uh, I'm doing a piece on on Rockney's funeral. And, you know, Newt Rockney died in a plane crash on March 31st, 1931. And it was really sort of the first American celebrity funeral, if you think about it, in the way that we now congregate around our televisions when, when somebody important to this country died as we did with George H.W. Bush at the end of last year. Well, really, Rockney was the first one because radio was then established enough that they could broadcast the funeral to the entire country. And the, the, the there was sort of the nexus when Rockney died of the nexus of the growth of radio and the growth of telephones and telegraphs, and, and their part in in, in spreading news, uh, and it all kind of came together uh, over the Easter week of 1931 when the seminal figure, not only at Notre Dame but in, in American culture, died in, and of all things, a plane crash. Mm-hmm. You know, Rockne's plane crash is what created the National Transportation Safety Board. So there's just this whole, you know, really interesting part of so many things happening in American history that came out of Rodney's death. So I'll tell that story.
0: All right. One more along those lines. And I know you kidded around. If if I covered it, it's not history. But have you come (laughs) across things that you did cover that you still learn something about? That you went back and maybe, you know, went over either your own notes or somebody else's stories and then dug a little deeper and said, wow, I was there. I covered this. But here's an element of this story that I missed or that was maybe in the background, maybe was ancillary to this story. But, boy, it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, sure. No, Uh, certainly with I've gone back. Uh, and reviewed, and I'm in the process of reviewing the Notre Dame Miami games of the late '80s, and the, you know the Catholics versus convicts. I covered that game, uh, but I didn't remember all the tumult of it. And a lot of it was done in a wonderful documentary we did a few years ago. Sure. We being ESPN, yeah. but uh, just all the how heightened you know, that rivalry was and, and why. I think, uh, the rise of Michael Vick at Virginia Tech and, uh, and what he meant for African American quarterbacks. I think you can make a pretty good case that he, he was the guy that, uh, that put to rest the idea that, you know, African Americans were not quarterbacks. They were athletes who took snaps. That was a shibboleth that had a hard time being put to rest. And I think Michael Vick did that in that incredible redshirt freshman year he had in 1999 when he took Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech led Florida State in the fourth quarter of that championship game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how good he was as a redshirt freshman. And I think there was a lot that went on there that uh, was more than just a really talented kid. So yeah, there's just a, there's a lot been a lot of stories like that.
0: And I think. We'll get you out on this one, and it is a very, very broad question. And so you can take as long as you want with it, depending on your, <laughs> own t- it d- depend depending on your own timetable here. But as you are doing this project, have you at all found yourself concerned about the future of college football and where it's heading? You're now so immersed in the past. But you're still very much a, a reporter of the present, and you see all the things that are going on. Is for again some some issues that have come up over and over: safety, uh, the entanglement, and the inter- and the relationship between education and and sports, NCAA issues. Now all these court cases that are you know, one of them in particular that could be decided in the next month about compensating players. As you've gone into this project, has it affected at all what you see as the future of this sport?
1: Well, one thing I I would put it this way, Ralph. One thing I have seen is that, as we were discussing a few minutes ago, a lot of these issues have been issues over the breadth of of the history of the game. And, you know, these are not new. Having said that, and this might be an overreaction on my part, but what concerns me the most about the future of the game is that, You know, moms and dads these days are very reluctant to let their little boys play football. And who's going to be playing football in 10 years if there are that many fewer kids playing Pop Warner? Mm -hmm. You know, I think of, and this might not be a fair analogy, but I think of how popular boxing was when I was growing up. You know, there used to be Friday night fights on television. You know uh, Ali and Frazier and Foreman and Hagler and Hearns in the seventies and eighties. And boxing is an afterthought in American culture these days. Could that happen to football? You know, I don't think so. But it, it you know, I, I think there is a compelling analogy that could be made. And the other thing is that the college kids aren't going to the games anymore. I mean, we all kind of laughed at, at Nick Saban when he. Reamed out the Alabama students for not coming to the games, but that's an issue everybody's got. You know, Saban's the only one that's really sort of confronted it front and center the way he did. But you know, those are the kids that are going to be the donors in twenty and thirty years. That, you know, and if they're not going to the games, if they're not that interested, then then what happens? You know, that's the other thing. What happens to the sport then? You know, so. I think there's some issues that, that college football has that I'm not sure I know what the answers are.
0: Okay, this will absolutely be the last one because I forgot to let you do one thing. You're also teaching a course now at Stanford where you are right now. Because, you know, if you're going to do all this work, you might as well share it with people, you know, in, in a classroom. Why not? I mean, was it a light bulb moment of like, hey, this this is almost like a, like a college class. I should maybe teach this.
1: That's exactly what happened. You know, we, once we decided on the idea of... of Telling this this history and themes, and we're doing it over eleven weeks. I mean, I, I I was an undergrad at Stanford, and I thought, well, they have ten week quarters. So I contacted the continuing studies program at, at Stanford. You know, I'm not teaching the undergraduates, which is a relief, I'm sure, to everyone. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I, I contacted continuing studies. I said, would y'all be interested in a class on the history of college football and And because I had the theme, I had a syllabus, you know, we had, what we had developed essentially was a syllabus. So they said, sure. And uh, so I'm teaching the class on Tuesday nights, this winter, and uh, we've had one class and I was astonished to see several people remain awake for the entire, you know, the entire class. Uh, It's been interesting and it's sort of, again, made me focus on each, Topic in a way that I might not have otherwise, as I'm playing whack-a-mole with all the stuff that's going on. You know, I've like okay, I've got to discuss this entire class. You know, I've got to be able to discuss this for two hours. You know, I've got a few guest speakers that you know, friends of ours, mutual friends of ours, that are going to come in and to further enlighten and that we can talk about. But it, it so far it's been fun.
0: Well, that's great. Listen again, this project seems so enormous that I can't even wrap my head around it it seems like you would be busy 24/7 so i hope i hope you're able to occasionally break away from it and enjoy your family and 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 your and your wife and and have a little vacation time but uh i'm very much uh, we're all i think everybody who is who's a fan of college football who works in college football is really looking forward to espn unveiling this i think again big picture type projects like that or or maybe what espn does best and knowing that you are sort of the brains behind it or one of the part you are providing some of the brain power behind it makes me feel hopeful that it will be awesome
1: well thank you ralph (laughs) and and thanks for having me on it it's been a delight to discuss uh, with you. My family has heard all of these, a lot of these stories ad nauseum over many years, so they're just nonplussed that I'm going to, you know, subject America to the rest of them, you know, <laughs> to all of them. But it's been a lot of fun, and it, it really has been a passion project. And if you can do that and get paid for it, that's hard
0: to beat. I'm curious, what is the finish line for you on this? In other words, when it's finally aired, will you at that point go? Ah. <laughs> like we <Yeah>. did it <laughs> you
1: know? well the the 150 days of programming that we are doing the 150th day will be at the championship game in new orleans next january so right. i think the day after uh, you know that tuesday morning you know when i awake it will be oh what you know what the <laughs> hell am i gonna do now Yeah.
0: Is there a bottle of wine big enough to celebrate and a a cigar big enough to celebrate that day?
1: Well, we will be in New Orleans. I won't have any trouble finding it, that's for sure. (laughs) Wonderful.
0: Ivan Mizell from ESPN and the brains behind college football 150 ESPN's long project that will be rolling out this year there'll be print there'll be podcasts and there will be lots of TV content and we are all very much looking forward to it Ivan hopefully our paths will cross sooner rather than later be well my friend thanks Ralph and now three and out first down I was able to throw out my very unpopular opinion about terrible officiating on Twitter this past weekend after the Saints got screwed, to be quite frank, by a brutal no-call in the NFC Championship game. Make no mistake, that should have been pass interference against the Rams. And that official should probably face some type of discipline or performance evaluation repercussion. Maybe he should not be assigned for the first few weeks of next season. But I just don't buy, and never will, the we were robbed argument. Ever. I will never buy that, whether it was last week or any other sporting event. That was one play in a game of about 130. The Saints did plenty wrong, and the Rams did plenty right to get to the final result. Even after the missed call. The Saints could have played some defense and stopped the Rams from tying up the game in regulation. They could have not turned the ball over on the opening drive of overtime. They could have not blown a 13 to nothing lead to start with. The call most definitely helped the Rams, but if you think the Saints were robbed, you're basically absolving the Saints of all they did wrong before and after, and I am not down with that. The Saints didn't win because they didn't play well enough to win. But if the NFL wants to start letting coaches challenge pass interference calls, I guess that'd be okay. Second down, the AFC title game brought the OT rule into question when the Patriots won with the Kansas City Chiefs never touching the ball. Again, I have no particular sympathy for the Chiefs here. They played well enough to lose. I'm not a big fan of college OT, but I will admit it makes for great drama. I don't necessarily endorse the NFL going to those sets of rules. And in fact, I would maybe argue that college should put the ball back a few yards, maybe the 30 or the 35. It does seem like it's too easy to score these days when you put the ball at the 25-yard line. But I would say this as far as the NFL is concerned. In the playoffs, when the stakes are so high, maybe at least the first OT period should be a full one regardless of the score. Let's just play it out. 15 minutes. Whoever's ahead at that point wins the game. Third down, I think this week's Senior Bowl officially starts the NFL draft season, though in actuality, NFL draft season is year-round. I grew up a draft Nick. I used to gobble up the stuff written by guys like Joel Buschbaum and Dave T. Thomas. I don't know how many of you remember him, but he wrote a draft guide. He lived not far from where I did as a teenager in Queens, and I kind of idolized the guy. So I tend to be a little torn when it comes to draft coverage. Part of me loves it. Another part of me despises the faux drama that is associated with every minute twist and turn. And of course, I hate anonymous scouts and executives trashing players. But the fact is, I'll consume a lot of the content. I'll produce a bunch of it, too. And I am part of the problem. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. As always, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Podcast One. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.